Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Hey, if you don't know me, uh, you're visiting or, or you're new. My name's Mason. I'm one of the pastors here at Resound Church. Uh, good to have you. Good to see everyone. Um, it's amazing. We're going to come around the Word of God this morning for just a few moments. Um, I actually was going to preach something else, and then I felt yesterday God put a scripture on my heart, and don't we love it when He does that? And I've got two sick kids at home, so this message is by no means going to be perfectly formulated, but I believe that God wants to speak to us. Amen? Amen. And so I'm glad you agree. So if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you open it up to Matthew chapter 5? Verses 14 to 16. It's a pretty well-known verse, and we're just going to look at it this morning and, and talk through it and ponder it this morning together for just a few moments with the prayer that the Holy Spirit would shift and change something uh, in us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Let me set you up with a little bit of context. So Jesus has now started his ministry He has called his disciples. He is starting to minister. He's starting to teach and preach. He's starting to heal the sick, cast out um, demons, all that kind of stuff. There is now a crowd beginning to follow him because, uh, you know, he's doing all these things. His ministry is going. He's he's preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's baptizing people. Um, All of this stuff is happening. So now there is a crowd. He's got his disciples and there is a crowd now beginning to uh, follow Jesus as well. And Jesus positions himself on a mountaintop, his disciples in front of him and the crowd behind them. And he begins to teach, the word says, begins to teach his disciples. Uh, then Matthew 5 through to Matthew, I think it's Matthew 7, we see uh, what has become probably Jesus's most famous sermon. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And so in Matthew 5, he is teaching um, all the people, the people walk away amazed at his teachings. And so he starts the Sermon on the Mount with blessings. And so we would call them the Beatitudes, but he starts, uh, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit for they, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Uh, you know, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the, the earth. And he keeps going through all these blessings. And then he says, blessed are you who are persecuted. Uh, for your reward is in heaven. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth, but don't lose your saltiness. And then we come to the verse that I want to highlight. I felt the, the Holy Spirit highlight to me yesterday that I want to talk about and think about today, uh, which is this, Matthew 5, 14. He says this, you are the light of the world. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Excellent. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but you put it on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So they may see your good deeds, praise your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Lord, I pray that as we come around your word, that you would speak through me. Anything that's of me would fall to the ground. Anything that's of you would pierce the hearts of everybody listening in Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, it was funny. Um, I remembered when I read over this verse again, a, a couple months ago, I actually ended up watching this video of a guy trying to, uh, exegete this passage of scripture and he was just butchering it like, um, dramatically. And so his whole point, he asked the question, well, did Jesus really mean this? 
right? It's important the questions we ask in life, okay? We understand that. But he was like, did Jesus actually mean this? And he went off to this weird tangent because his whole premise was, this is the only time that comes out of Jesus's mouth that where he says, you are the light of the world, where he refers to his disciples or you and me as the light of the world. Every other time Jesus talks about the light of the world being himself. And so he somehow got to this conclusion that the creator and the king of the universe must have just got down off the mountain. And uh, his disciples said, did you mean to say that we were the light of the world? Or did you mean to say that you were the light of the world? And like the king of the universe was like, oh my gosh, I I meant to say I was the light of the world. I've completely, don't write that down. Too late. It's already written down. It's already in the Bible. And so that's like was his premise that Jesus just had like a brain fart and and didn't and, and just didn't like. That's why it's important the questions that we ask. Now, we have Bible college students. As of mid-year, we're going to have 11 Bible college students. Just for the Bible college students, if you submit an essay like that, you will you basically just wasted your money. You get kicked out of Bible college, okay? Because the first premise of orthodoxy in the church is that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And so you have to start from that premise. Otherwise, we go, yeah. So it's the wrong question, right? It's not, did Jesus mean it? He meant it. Jesus is intentional. He means what he says. If he's doing something, guess what? He's doing something. And if he's not doing something in your life, he's not doing something on purpose because he means it. He's intentional. He doesn't do things flippantly, right? Doesn't do things recklessly. Sorry about the song. But it's just not, it's just not in his nature. He, is, he meant it. So the question is not, did Jesus mean it? The question is, what did he mean by it? Because if we can understand what Jesus meant by what it means to be the light of the world, what did he mean by calling us the light of the world? Then it can actually transform us and we can actually realistically look at what that looks like uh, out in the world. And so then that's what we're going to look at this morning. Well, what did Jesus actually mean when he said, you are the light of the world? You know, in the ancient Greek, when it says shine, the word for shine, do you know what it means? Shine. Yeah, it means to shine. It means to stand out. It means to be utterly unique in a uh, backdrop of darkness. So in a backdrop of darkness, something that shines is utterly unique. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what makes us utterly unique as disciples of Jesus? Remember, he's teaching his disciples. What makes them utterly unique, different from everyone else? What makes them stand out? So we ask ourselves the question today, if Jesus has said, you are the light of the world, what actually makes you stand out? What makes us as Christians stand out? Can I tell you? I simply think it's that we are disciples and followers of Jesus. That is the only thing that makes us different from everybody else in the world is the simple fact that we follow Jesus, that we are disciples and we follow Jesus. It's not the social justice work that we do because we can feed people Right? And we should do that. And that's a good thing to do. But you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to do that. We can, you know, clothe people, put roofs over people's heads, you know, fight for the, the underdog, all that kind of stuff. And those are good things to do, right? And we should do those things. And we shouldn't neglect those things, caring for the widows and the orphans and all that kind of stuff. But you don't actually have to be a follower of Jesus to do that. There's plenty of organizations that do that. They don't profess to follow Jesus. And so that doesn't actually make you, it does, it's not even that we come to church. Because you can come to church and still not be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. 
And so that's not what makes us utterly unique. Not even that we gather in this building doesn't make us utterly unique. What simply makes us utterly unique is that we claim to be and profess to be disciples and followers of Jesus. And so remember at the right question, the next question we have to ask then is, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? But biblically, what does that mean that we are a disciple or we follow Jesus? What does it mean? Well, Jesus actually has a funny answer to that question. Because if we look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 8, um, there's a, a teacher of the law. And after hearing Jesus' words, Jesus comes off the mountain. He starts to heal people, do his thing. Um, people are like amazed. And, all, and there's this teacher of the law and he comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you, your words have the words of life. I am willing. I am going to follow you. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'm in. I'm sold out. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. You know what Jesus says to him? He doesn't say, yeah, sick, amazing. Sign the dotted line. Here's how you do it. You've got to come here, follow me here, dress like this, wear this, do this. You know he doesn't do it. Do you know, where, do you know how, this is how Jesus answers him? Foxes have dens. Birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I picture Jesus saying it like that, but (laughs) foxes have dens, birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What? Like, that doesn't actually make any sense. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus actually, like, it's just classic. Jesus would literally be the worst sales manager in your business. Like, he would be fired straight away. That's a soft close. That's an easy close. This guy's ready to sign the dotted line, give his life away. And Jesus says something like that. Like, you can't, he just ruins it. It's like, and you know what? We, we actually see nothing else in scripture that this man actually followed Jesus and became a disciple of his or anything like that. And that's all he says to this man from what we can gather from scripture. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, Jesus spoke in mysteries. That's not abnormal to see Jesus speak like that. Um, he spoke in mysteries. And, so, and, and the answers were to be sought out. And so let me give you, uh, you know, three observations I make about Jesus' answer. Now, most likely, probably, he was trying to get to the heart of a man. Because remember, God, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart and so most likely he was trying to get at the heart of the man, which was probably simply saying, listen, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you your comfort. So, I mean, we'll touch on that a bit later, but it's actually going to cost you your comfort, right? That's one observation we could make. Another observation we could make is that, you know, there's no place to sleep. So maybe it's about, you know, being willing to follow Jesus anywhere. And so wherever Jesus calls you, whatever he's called you to do and wherever he calls you to be, then that's where you should go and that's what you should do because it's better to be in the will of God than anything else. And so no matter where God calls you away from family to family, overseas to Melbourne, to somewhere like Tasmania, wherever God's calling you. Why'd you laugh at Tasmania? Anyway, wherever God calls you, you should go. That's a great observation. Can I give you a third observation as well that I made? Um, Foxes, I don't know if you know this, but I'm from the country. Foxes don't actually sleep in dens. And birds, they, foxes sleep under bushes, on a rock, in a crevice. And birds, actually, they actually don't sleep in nests. Foxes don't sleep in dens. Foxes reproduce in dens. They have babies in dens. Birds don't sleep in nests. Birds uh, reproduce in nests. 
They have babies in nests. So could a third observation be that Jesus was trying to tell this man that following me is not about coming with me now to a specific place or at a specific time, but following me is becoming a reproduction of me everywhere that you go. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to become a duplicate of him, a reflection of him, a reproduction of him everywhere that you go. Following Jesus is less about where you are and more about who you are. Less about where you're actually going and more about who you actually are when you're going there. Are you actually following Jesus, replicating your life after him, walking the journey of sanctification, partner with the Holy Spirit to become more like him? I think that's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because it's about replication. It's about becoming more like Christ. That's probably why Paul says as well, I have died. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That's why Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Why? Because it's about reproducing ourselves after him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What it actually means to follow Jesus is to become more and more and more like him in every way. The ultimate goal of a Christian is that people would look at your life today and somehow through all the mess and all the stuff that you got going on, see the life of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to replicate ourselves after him, to walk as he walked, to talk as he talked, to teach what he taught, taught, to do what he did. That's why Jesus said, you know, go. When he said, go, go and preach the gospel, go and heal the sick. What's he saying? Go and do what I did. Because following Jesus is less about coming to a church on, on, on a Sunday and more about on your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, representing Christ to the world around you. That's what makes you utterly unique is actually to replicate Christ in the world around you. And so if we come back to our scripture, which is you are the light of the world, can I put to you, we are the light of the world because we are a reflection of the light of the world. Because as we become more like him, we become utterly unique against the culture and a backdrop that is full of darkness. If we jump to another, if we jump to John, John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, this is the first time Jesus says, Uh, that he is the light of the world. Do you know the backdrop in which he says it? Jesus and his disciples have traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacle. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacle was a time when all the Jews came to Jerusalem and they would uh, feast. It was a time of feasting and celebrating and praising God. What they would actually do one night in the temple is they would, there was two, there was the, on the outer court of the temple, they would light four candelabras and it would be what was called on one night of the feast, the illumination of the temple. And do you know what the illumination of the temple uh, uh, represented? One night they would light all these candles and the temple of God would illuminate into the streets and into the courtyards and into the backyards of the people of Jerusalem. And people that night would stand in the light of their streets and their courtyards and their backyards and they would worship God because God is the light that takes away the darkness. He is the good in the world that takes away the darkness. He is the one that takes away our sorrows and replaces them with joy. And so in the illumination of the temple, as God's light, God's light would shine across Jerusalem, people would stand in the light of his glory and they would worship him. 
Jesus in John chapter 8 is standing in the outer court. They called it the court of the woman. It just meant that that's the court where anybody could come. And he is standing there at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacle, at the time of the illumination of the temple, and he says to them this, standing exactly where the candelabras would be lit, what does he say? No, I am the light of the world. What's he saying? I am the one that is going to bring light to the backyards, the streets, and the courtyards of this world, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I am the goodness that will drive out the darkness. I am the great I am. And then in John chapter 9, when they're confronted with a, with a blind man, he says to his disciples, while it is still day, we must do the work of the one who sent me. For night is coming. And he says this, For while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. For while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And of course, we know that to be true with Jesus. Jesus began to push back the darkness when he was here on this world. He began to address the enemy that was within all of us, the darkness that is within all of us. And he begins to push back the darkness. And of obviously, uh, he push back the ultimate darkness of sin and death when he hung upon the cross. And he, what did he become when he hung upon the cross? He became the ultimate illumination of the temple, the ultimate candelabra, the one that drives out the darkness of sin and death in all of our lives. As he, as, and as he hung on the cross, he shone and he took out the darkness of sin and death in all of our lives. And so what do we do? We stand in the light of the cross and we praise and we worship him this morning. Why do we sing praises and worship God? Because we stand in the light of the cross. We stand in the light of all that he did, that he drove out darkness in you, that he drove out the enemy in you, that he drove out sin and death in you. Is somebody thankful for Jesus and all that he did? That we can stand in the light of his glory. He is the light of the world. Then Jesus ascends to heaven. And what does he do? He gives us his spirit. Same spirit that raised me from the dead. I'm going to give to you. Jesus then passes on the mantle of being the light of the world to you and I. So you are the light of the world. How do you and I become the light of the world? Well, we do our best to live every day as a reflection of Jesus. For the ultimate goal for you and me is for people to see our lives and see the life of Jesus. Now, there's another element in this scripture where he talks about covering the light with a bowl. Hiding. Can, can I put to you that there is something sometimes in all of us, there are situations, circumstances, people that make us want to hide our light under a bowl. They make us want to hide our light under a bowl. Have you ever been in a situation that's so awkward and uncomfortable that all you wanted to do was hide? That's me too many times. <laughs> it was one time we were caravanning and um, we're in Marimbula and we're at this caravan park and the caravan park had a water slide. And so I'm going down the water slide with my then, uh, she was two, two-year-old daughter. And um, as I'm at the, there's a bunch of families around and as I'm at the top of the water slide, her swim nappy breaks and out comes all of the stuff that was being held back by the nappy. And her swim, her swim nappy breaks 
all over the slide. It's going in the water. It's turned the water mustard. It's like all over the steps. There's people everywhere. And I start to panic. Like I actually don't know what to do. I'm like frozen because I'm like, this is like the worst thing to ever happen to me. I'm like embarrassed and I'm like, oh my, what's going to happen? So I turn around and hold her and I start to run down the stairs. As I run down the stairs, I walk past the family and their kids coming up the stairs. And I'm like, I should say something to them, but I'm too awkward. I'm too, I'm too, I, I just wasn't thinking. I was, I was freaking out. So I don't say anything to them. I keep walking down the stairs and they're going up to see an absolute nightmare. Then I'm still walking down the stairs and then there's another family who comes up. I should probably, in my head, I'm like, you should probably say something to them. I'm like, I can't say something to them. I'm like panicking. They walk up past me. I run all the way to Jess and say, come on, get the bag. We got to go. She's like, what's happening? I'm like, just get the bag and go. I'll tell you later. We got to go. And then all of a sudden I just hear, there's a kid went down the slide and then a kid's like, oh my gosh. And then it's like, oh, there's poo. Someone's pooed on the slide. And I'm like, go Jess, go Jess, go. And we're like running out. And Jess is like, no, stop. We should tell something. And then this, you know, this lady comes down the slide. She's like, somebody's skin has pooed all over the slide. And then even Jess was a little bit like, oh, maybe we should just go. And so we're like going, but then Jess is like, Jess is like, no, we have to go and tell. We have to tell someone because she's the better of the two of us. So she's like, we have to tell someone. So then I'm like, well, I'm not telling anyone. I'm going. I walked past two people. I walked past those people. And then they're all like have a, having a team huddle. Like someone has pooed on the slide. It's ruined our day. My kid's gone down and her kid's like, bleh, bleh, bleh. And so then Jess is like, oh my gosh. And so Jess goes in and tells the lady, the lady's coming out. Jess is like, you got to come and tell the lady. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going straight to the showers. I'm going straight to our caravan. So I go to the showers, clean somewhere up, run straight to the caravan. The kid who went down the slide, their caravan, guess what? Is directly adjacent to ours. <laughs> and bro, everyone knew we did it, right? Because my daughter kept yelling, I did a poo down the slide. I did a poo down the slide. And it's like, shut up. And I said to Jess, right? And the family's over there and they're like, Dad, someone pulled down the slide. It makes me sick. The mom's like, get the hand sanitizer, leave the shampoo. Everyone's getting in the showers right now. We're burning your, your costumes. Like they're going off next as we can hear them. Jess gets back, she's like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. And I said to Jess, I am not leaving this caravan until they go home. (laughs) I'm not. I was so uncomfortable, so embarrassed. Do you know why I didn't? Because I was trying to, uh, out of some weird self-preservation, for whatever reason, I cared so much about what this family thought. Like, they're going to think I'm an idiot, disgusting. Why didn't I just tell them? Should have just told them. And then I was like, no, for, literally for the whole night, I stayed in the caravan. Because I'm like, I'm not going out of the caravan until Jess like put up like a screen down so they couldn't see into our, under our thing. And so I was like, okay, I'll come out. But I was like, it was, I was hiding for self-preservation. I was like, I don't want people to know all this kind of stuff. And can I put to you that um, sometimes we do the same with our Christianity and the light that God has in you for a reason uh, we pull back under some circumstances and situations because we feel uncomfortable. But remember the first observation we made about Jesus' answer to follow him is that sometimes following Jesus means that you'll have to be uncomfortable. You'll be uncomfortable. We're not called to hide the light that is in us. We're not called to hide the life that we live. We're not called to hide the saviour that we have professed and proclaimed is the Lord 
of our lives, even if that makes us feel uncomfortable. And we all understand that, right? Because there are all circumstances and situations where we have pulled back from what we believe or our faith uh, in an attempt to preserve ourselves or be liked by people. You know, we've all been pumping worship music in our car and then, you know, a car of P-platers pulls up and you're like, I just turn it down a little bit. Why? Why do we hide? Did he not? Don't, do we not live in the light of all that he has done for us? Do we not believe what he has done and what he can do for other people? I don't necessarily think that that's why we hide. I think all of us, I'll assume everyone's a good person, a good Christian. I think all of us, you know, want to do our best to represent Jesus in the world. But there's some circumstances and situations that make us feel uncomfortable, so we want to hide. Do you know what I think it is? I actually think it's a wrong understanding of why you're still here on earth. It's actually a wrong understanding of Uh, what it means to be saved and why Jesus has saved you. You know, you've actually been saved from something for something. We've been saved from something for something. There's this whole movement at the moment that's like privatize your faith, privatize your faith. Um, That's a very limited understanding of why, (laughs) of your salvation. Can I tell you something? Your salvation has never been just about you and your relationship with God. You won't find it. You won't find it in there. Let me show you an example. Jesus had a perfect relationship with God and he still died for the whole world. So Jesus' life wasn't just about his relationship with God it was, and he had a perfect one. His life was there to, yeah, have a relationship with God, but also to die for all humanity. And can I put to you, if we're trying to duplicate, imitate, reflect Christ, that your salvation is not just about you and your relationship with God, but it's about you, your relationship with God, and everybody else in this world. For what does the word that we said in Matthew chapter 5? So people will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If, if your salvation was just about you and your relationship with God, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, he probably would have killed you and taken you with him. But you're still here because you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. What are you here for? To be the light of the world. So that people can see your life And see the transformation power of Jesus. Listen, it's it's and it's great, right? We say to people, you know, come to Jesus. Jesus loves you. And he does. And that's true. But it's much more than that. Come to Jesus. Because he was literally crushed so that you can be transformed. So that you could have life and life in its abundance. So that you could be connected with your purpose, which is to be in relationship with Him. And so when people look at your transformed life because of what Christ did on the cross, because you stand in the light of it and reflect it every day, that's where transformational power comes from. 
you are called to be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Has anyone ever seen a sunflower before? Just all of us. That's cool. You know, I used to think sunflowers were called sunflowers because they look like the sun. Anybody else still think that? It's like it looks like the sun. <laughs> you know why they're called sunflowers? Because their face, everywhere the sun goes, they actually will follow the sun. That's why they're called sunflowers, because they follow the sun. And you know why they follow the sun? I used to think it was because of some, you know, they get nutrients of the sun, which isn't untrue. Like, you know, they need sun, they need water, all that kind of stuff. But the main reason they fo- their face follows the sun is so that their face can be warm and attract bees. Some of you are like, where are you going with this? <laughs> but they attract bees. Why do they want to attract bees? To reproduce themselves. So that they can continue to reproduce themselves. I thought this week, what a beautiful picture of what we're called to be. To follow the Son, to follow Jesus, so that we can attract people and keep reproducing, keep seeing people one for Jesus, keep seeing people understand His love, His light, and His glory. For is that not what it means to follow Jesus? And so you might ask the question, okay, yeah, I agree, I get it, it's awesome. How do I then continue to live my life as a reflection of Christ, as the light of the world, and not hide it under a bowl? How do I do that? Romans 1.16, For I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of salvation. I think we need a renewing of our idea or the sense of how good God actually is. How good is he? He's actually so good. He's actually so good that we should want to come to church and sing songs about him. We should want to tell people about him. So how do you continue to reflect Jesus? You fall in love with him again. Your first love fire, fan it into flame. You fall in love with him again. Or have you forgotten that Jesus literally saves lives? He's literally saving lives. He's still moving in the, in, the, in the world today. He's still moving in the church today. Don't be fooled by all the media and all the news and all the noise that's around. Jesus is alive. He's still on the throne. He's still moving. Do you know, I know everything to, my, to Jesus. I, would not, I wouldn't be here. I was a broken, hurting, messed up 16-year-old boy who was not looking for God at all. And somehow he found me in the middle of a campsite in country Victoria, far away from him. And all of a sudden, he found me. It's like that story in the Bible. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. That's me. That's you. Jesus found me. I owe everything to Jesus. Why? There's no way I would have the wife that I have if I didn't find Jesus. There's no way I'd have the kids, the beautiful kids that God's blessed me with, if I didn't find Jesus. He saved me. And some of you need a refreshing that this Christianity is not just about coming to church, having fun, doing all that kind of, which is all great and it's a part of being in community and it's awesome. But some of you need to understand and get a fresh revelation that Christ has saved me. He has set me free and He's the power of salvation to do it for others. 
He can do it for others. If He did it for you, He can do it for others. Our prayer should be, God, do it again. God, do it again. God, do it again. You fall in love with the Jesus. They said, do not gossip. You fall in love with a Jesus that says, forgive. It's better to forgive. You fall in love with a Jesus that says, I've come to give you life and life in its abundance again. You fall in love with a Jesus who did not leave us to our own devices, but came down to save us. Some of you need to fall in love with Jesus again. And, and, and I don't mean that in like a, you know, the band can come back up. And I don't mean that in like a, no, I don't mean to offend anyone or, or whatever, but, you, but we have to understand and get a, a love of God again. A love of Him again. A love of Him again. Why? Because when we fall in love with Jesus again and all that He is, and we understand His power and what He is able to do, then we can follow Jesus, become a reflection of Him. And what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that people would see your life. And turn to Jesus. See your life and turn to Jesus. Don't privatize your faith. You won't find that in in here. That's That's not what Jesus was saying. You weren't just saved for yourself. You were saved to reflect Christ and be the light of the world to everybody else. Your salvation is not just about you going to heaven or hell. Your salvation is about reflecting Jesus, being the light of the world to everyone around us so that we can continue to push back darkness in this world. Don't privatize your faith. And we've heard it said, now preach the gospel and use words if you have to. And I'm not against that. I think that's a good way of being you know, a reflector of Christ and all that kind of stuff. But be very careful that you're not using that as an excuse to not reflect Christ at all. Use words if you have to. Yeah, definitely use words. The Bible says to be ready to give an account for why you believe what you believe. Because there are people searching. There are people asking questions. There are people wanting to know answers. So be ready to give an account for what you believe. For how will they know if nobody tells them? And so don't privatize your faith. We should live in a way that people see Jesus and the light of all he has done through our life. But we should also use our words as well. Will that make us feel uncomfortable? Sure. Will some people get offended? Maybe. There's wisdom, you know, it's God's kindness that turns people to repentance. So we should share our faith with kindness and with love to not be a resounding gong. But we should share our faith We should be okay with being uncomfortable. And I came to a decision a long time ago. I'm not going to be offensive. I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be loving. But if my faith offends you, that's not on me. So if my, I'm sorry, I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to, but if my faith offends you, then there's nothing I can do about that. And that's okay. Every man will choose. Every man and woman will choose. But it shouldn't be an excuse. You know, there's people all around the world. We heard from Mike Gore and 
you know, Jossie Chacker the last few weeks who work with these people. There's people all around the world that die for the same thing that we profess we follow as well. And so don't privatize your faith. Can I just mention one more thing and then we'll go about Matthew chapter 5. It says a city on the hill. I believe that the greatest light that you can ever shine is being about a part of a church that's of one accord. And I need to say it because the church is, you know, for a long time being under attack and I'm not by any means justifying a lot of the stuff that has happened in churches and all that kind of stuff. But I am convinced and still believe that the church is the answer to the world. It was God's uh, uh, a way of shining a light because the Bible says a city on a hill. What's a city? It's a whole bunch of lights. What's a church? It's a whole bunch of lights. The greatest light. It cannot be hidden. So when we're a part of a church of one accord, we cannot be hidden. We stand as a beacon to the community. I believe in the church. With all of its flaws and all of its shortcomings and all of its stuff that goes on, I believe in in the church. Why? Because I've seen what community of believers does to people. It transforms them. It transforms them. It transformed me. In a lot of ways, the church raised me. I'm so thankful for the church. Has it got flaws? Yeah. Has it got things? Yeah, but we all do. It's still God's answer to the world. All these people, man, I'm not, I don't know about church. I love Jesus. I don't know about church. Listen, the church is still God's bride. And I would tell you this today that we hear about plane crashes, right? The one plane that crashes or the two planes that crash. We never hear about the thousands of planes that take off and land safely every day. That's the same as the church. There are thousands of church right across the world that are doing amazing transformational things in people's lives, winning people to Jesus. We just don't hear about it because it's not big news. And so I just want to say, don't get caught up in the, in the noise of all the stuff that goes on about the church. The church is the answer, still the answer to the world. And I'll tell you one story and then I'll finish, I promise. There was this girl, she, um, some of you, I think I told this story before once, but there was this girl, she came in, her name was Cassandra. She came into our youth ministry, came into our church, and the first day she came in, she had hair hung, hanging over her face. She just uh, just looked like she didn't want to be there, and she walked in and said hi, and she didn't say anything. She just grunted, <clears throat> walked to the front. She's about 16, and walked and sat at the back, and... Uh, as soon as the service over, she got up, she left. And, you know, not to be a pessimist, but I was like, she's never coming back. <laughs> oh, she was just not vibing the whole thing. She's never coming back. Next week, she walks through the doors again. Still hair over her face, all that kind of stuff. And this time in the youth ministry, you know, we'd get all the kids down the front to praise and worship. And instead of sitting at the back, she stood at the back. And then after the service was over, she left. And I was like, I don't think it's going to be a third time. Sure enough, the next week, third time she comes in. And instead of standing at the back, she stands at the front and she lifts her hands with everybody else. We do an altar call. She responds to the altar call. She lifts her hands to accept Jesus in her life for the first time. And then she leaves. We were like, did anyone catch her? Did anyone like, I saw her, she put her hand up. Did anyone? And everyone's like, oh no, she left straight away, whatever. So we just kept saying hi to her every week, bye to her every week. She leaves. She comes back the next time. And I didn't even, I didn't recognize her. 
she like her hair was like pulled back. She was like wearing different clothes. Her hair wasn't in her face. And every time we got a grunt, she like walked up and she was like, "Hi, my name's Cassandra. Uh, I've been a few times." Like, and she was like this. Di- she was like a different person. You know what she says? She says, "Yeah, last week I met Jesus, and He's changed my life." Tears flooding in her eyes. Changed my life. I remember we said, oh, do you want to share like your testimony a few weeks later? And, and I was with her with a few other people and we were going through like, so what did God do? She said, you know what she said? We said, why did you come back? Because I thought you were never coming back. She said, when I walked in the building, it was the first time in my life that I didn't feel invisible. Some of us have been in church too long. We forget its power. We get so cynical about the church and all these things. Oh, she's just, listen, it's not about that. Well, that girl walked in and for the first time in her life, she didn't feel invisible. She was abused and in every single way as a child, as a kid, she somehow found her way into a church and for the first time, she didn't feel invisible. And so she came back again and she came back again and she came back again and then she met Jesus, the Saviour of the world. And he transformed her, changed her, set her free. I asked her a question. Where would you be if you didn't meet Jesus? With tears in her eyes, she said, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be. Jesus saved her life. There was another boy. We went to his school. We invited him to church. He came to church, gave his life to Jesus. Two weeks later, he came and he told us his testimony. He said, that night I was going home to kill myself when you guys came into the school and invited me to church. It gave me something to live for. I came to church and I met Jesus and he's changed my life. He saved me. If it wasn't for that day, if it wasn't for this church, I wouldn't be here today. Some of us forget the power of the church. Some of us forget the power of Jesus. Greatest light you'll ever shine is being a part of a church community of one accord. Of one accord. And so my challenge to you as I close is simply this, is that you would, number one, that we would do our best to reflect Jesus in every area that God puts us in this week, that we would, you know, talk as He talked, do as He did, walk as He walked. Every situation, every circumstance, remind yourself this week, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. When someone cuts you off in traffic, I'm the light of the world. When you walk past someone who looks down and out, I'm the light of the world. When you know your business colleague looks like he's not having a bad day and you can't and you can't be bothered, just remember, you're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Do you know we were walking through Westfield and holding my daughter's hand and she started to sing, "This little light of mine." I'm going to let it shine, this little light I can't sing. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We're walking through hundreds of people and she's saying, let it shine. Oh, I felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, that's not just for her, that's for you as well. And it can get overwhelming. We look around in a, in a west field of hundreds of people. God, how are we going to do this, God? How do we get people to find hope and know hope? One at a time. One at a time. And so wherever you are in whatever sphere of influence you find yourself this week, remember that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And secondly, I'll challenge you with this. Don't forget about the noise. Be plugged in and planted in a church. 
people just looking for a church. You know, for whatever reason, there's so many people looking for churches at this time. There's been heaps. Be plugged in and planted in a church that's of one accord because it's the greatest light that will ever shine in our community is when we come together and worship Jesus and leave this place reflecting Him. Reflecting Him. Come on, would you stand on your feet with me this morning? I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in a song because um, I just want to give you a moment in and of yourself to respond to Jesus. You know, whatever He is speaking to you about or whatever He has challenged you with through His Word uh, today, we just want to give you a few moments for you to seal that in your heart, to ask Jesus to reveal more things to you, to simply just, you know, for the last you know, one minute of this service, just to worship Him, give Him all the glory, to talk with Him, to do business with Him. And so um, I'm going to pray and then the band's going to sing. And so I'd encourage you, worship Him. Why? Because He's worthy of worship. Talk to Him. Why? Because He wants to talk to you. You know, if there's any grievous way in me, Lord, repent if you need to repent. Change your mind. Change your thinking. Ask Him to renew your mind if you've been challenged in the next minute. But let's pray. Let's pray. You know, there's power in prayer. There is power in prayers. No matter what you're going through, maybe you're struggling with, with the fear of man. Maybe you're struggling with all of these things. And can I remind you that in Acts chapter 4, when the uh, disciples come to pray because they were told if they keep preaching the gospel, they were going to all die. They came and they prayed for boldness. And the very building that they were in, the foundations of the building that they were in shook and they left the place with boldness and God added to their number day by day. So maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, that is me. I'm struggling with a bit of fear of man. Then we're going to pray for boldness. That supernatural boldness would come upon you so that you could reflect Jesus to your world. Come on, would you lift your hands with me if you feel comfortable? Jesus, we come to you today. We lay our lives down afresh to you today. Jesus, we pray that what you have spoken through your word today, Lord, that it would be sealed in our hearts. Jesus, that we would leave this place challenged. We would leave this place different. Lord God, we would leave this place with an understanding that our mission on earth is not to just be in relationship with you, but to be in relationship with you and reflect you to everybody else around us. Jesus, would you change our perspective and would we begin to be the light of the world like you've called us to be? The mantle that you've handed back to us, Lord God, would we be a beacon to a community of darkness, Lord God? And we just pray, Lord, that this week as we stand in the light of all that you have done, Lord, I pray that we would remember what you've done for us. Lord, that we would fall in love with you again, that we would get passionate about the things of you again, Jesus. For you are so good. You are so good, God. And so I pray for boldness right now over every single person. Lord, I thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, Jesus. So I pray for boldness right now over every single person. People who have been struggling with the fear of the fear of man comes upon them, Jesus. I just pray, Lord God, that that, w- that would be gone right now in Jesus' name, that strength and boldness from your Holy Spirit would take its place, Jesus, that we would become the light of the world. And Lord, we prophesy, we declare, Lord, that this would be a house where people come and find you as they stand in the light of all that you have done that people would come and find you Jesus we love you we worship you we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise in Jesus name we pray amen and amen come on why don't we worship God together come on give him a hand in this place
Why don't we just sing together this morning, worship Him. Why don't you let the Lord seal whatever He's speaking to you in your heart this morning. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.